Good morning, y'all. We are in Exodus 18 for our sermon text this morning. I'll be turning there. We are looking at uh, the next um, story. Israel has been um, rescued from Egypt and on their way to Mount Sinai. And now um, Moses' father-in-law shows up. So uh, let's read together Exodus 18. If you would, as we read, please stand in respect for God's word. Exodus 18, 1 through 27. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. But moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. 
If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat, and let me go to the Lord for us one more time in prayer. Father, we come to you because we... Uh, this morning, wanting to hear from your word, wanting to know what you have to say to us. So, Father, we ask that you would do that. Send your spirit now to open our hearts and to, um, to bring alive your word um, to, in order to change us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen. So, I grew up attending a very traditional, old school, um, big Presbyterian church where we worshipped each Sunday morning in a big, beautiful, ornate sanctuary. The kind of room that you literally just walk into and immediately you know, like, this room is made to be worshipped in. You know, for everything from the um, the cross behind the choir loft, the the pulpit, kind of the dual pulpit lectern, the stained glass in the back, that all of it just exists for worshipping God. And I still remember the first time I went into that sanctuary at night when there was nothing going on. Uh, I probably wasn't supposed to be there, I, I don't remember, but um, there was, it was night, it was dark, there was no one else in the church, it was an empty sanctuary. Uh, and it was, it was eerie, because here is a room that is intended for one thing, for worship, for a room where God is meant to be praised, and it's sitting empty, um, and it's basically just not, it's not fulfilling its purpose. It's meant to be this this large, um, grand um, place for worship. Um, and it's not, and there's no worship taking place. When we look at the world around us, what we encounter often is an empty sanctuary, a world that was created for worship, to be filled with the praise of God, um, and isn't. Instead, it's become a place where more often than not, God's creatures give praise to anything and everything else. In our text this morning, we get one of the first glimpses in Scripture at God's plan to fill the earth with praise once again, where He is um, that He is at work creating um, and filling the earth with worship. And so, our big idea this morning, as we as we look at this text, is we want to see that that God is at work filling the earth with praise. And at the same time, we see the role that we as a church get to play in that. The ways that, that, God, that God's people are called to fill the earth with praise. And so we're going to look at three things this morning. Uh, first, we want to see, um, look at our call to fill the earth with praise by telling the nations about God's wondrous deeds. Um, then second, that we fill the earth with praise by worshiping. And then lastly, how we fill the earth with praise by finding our role and the Great Commission. So let's start with this idea of filling the earth with praise by telling the nations about God's wondrous deeds. Our action, the action in our text this morning kind of starts with Jethro coming to Moses. He's bringing Moses' wife and sons with him. 
And um, Jeff put up this nice TV a couple weeks ago, so I thought we would use it. Um, if y'all wanna, if y'all can throw that map up there, can y'all in the back and we'll, okay. So we've been, if y'all remember, so the Israelites have been in Egypt. Moses, when he fled, fled to Midian down here. And um, this is where he met his wife. This is where Jethro, his father-in-law, is from. So the Israelites have been traveling this way. And at the same time, word is spreading of what God has done. And so Jethro hears about it, and he knows, because um, this is actually where Moses first encountered God at the burning bush. So he knows that's where Moses and the Israelites are going to be going. And so he starts bringing Moses' wife and kids over here to Sinai, um, where the Israelites are. And that's sort of where, so then that's where we pick up this morning, is um, with Jethro has packed Moses' wife and kids in the the minivan, and he's um, bringing them back to Moses. And, you know, as you would when you, we haven't seen someone in a while, they're greeting each other, they're excited, they're um, telling each other everything that's happened, and all of this is leading us to verses 9 through 12, when Jethro, a Gentile, offers praise to God. It's, it's always significant, it's always beautiful when someone worships, right? When, when someone offers praise to God. But what makes this special, though, is Jethro. Because in the very first thing, in verse 1, we learn that he is a Midianite priest. So he's a Midianite, means he's a Gentile, he's not part of Israel, and he will remain a Gentile, unlike some others that we'll see and have actually seen, if y'all remember when the Israelites first left, some, some other Gentiles kind of joined up with the people of Israel. But what's special here is we have a, a Gentile who is not going to become a part of Israel. He's going to leave when this whole episode is over. He's going to remain a Gentile, but he's also become a worshiper of Yahweh. And so he's a Midianite, and he's a Midianite priest. And so he's not just participating in the worship of false gods. He has been leading the worship of, you know, hundreds of deities, right? The Midianites were polytheists. They were pagans. They worshipped anything and everything under the sun. And Jethro has been a part of leading that type of false worship. And here he is worshiping God. A pagan, a pagan priest. And so Jethro gives us our first glimpse, really one of the first glimpses in Scripture at this important idea of the Gentiles coming to worship Yahweh. Jethro, um, so we mentioned he's the first uh, Gentile in the book of Exodus who's going to, to come and um, worship but actually remain a Gentile. And um, it's this picture of what we see in Isaiah 56 where we see the nations coming to worship God. So it reads, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these, these foreigners, I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. There's some really interesting connections to Jethro in Isaiah 56. Uh, one of them is the, that it talks about Gentiles offering burnt offerings and sacrifices, which is the exact phrase that we're going to see Jethro 
he offers burnt offerings and sacrifices. Um, it talks about God bringing them to his holy mountain. This, all of this is taking place at the foot of, foot of Mount Sinai. Uh, but most importantly, what we see in Exodus 18 is a Gentile's worship being accepted. Someone who is not part of the nation of Israel. We see that God's plan is for all people to worship him. He is filling the earth with the praise of his name on the lips of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And one of those people is Jethro. He's, he's like the trickle of rain before the downpour. You've been out right when it's about to start raining and you kind of maybe you feel one raindrop on your head and then you kind of hold your hand out and see if there's another and another. That's Jethro. He's this, one of these early Gentiles who's coming to praise Yahweh before the flood that comes with Christ. And what gets us here, what gets us to this place where a Gentile is worshiping is that Moses is faithful to tell Jethro about what God has done, what Yahweh has done in delivering his people out of Egypt. And more generally, uh, word of Yahweh's power is spreading. Right? Jethro finds out about this somehow, that the Israelites have been, have been released, have been um, you know, set free, have escaped from Egypt. Um, that apparently word is spreading throughout that region that, look, this Yahweh God, like, he's up to something, right? He's, he, he put those Egyptians in their place. He rescued his people. Word of that is spreading throughout that region enough that, that Jethro heard about it. And then in verse 8, Moses brings it home by telling Jethro everything that God has done. So verse 8 says, then, then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Uh, I love that he doesn't shy away from, he, he, he talks about the deliverance from Egypt, but then he doesn't shy away from the hard things as well. Right? He, he tells Jethro everything that has happened, including the hardships, and how God has delivered them from, from all of them. You even maybe see a little bit of maturing in Moses here, that he's, he's beginning to see some of these things that have been happening to him that we've been talking about the last few weeks as um, things that God, God, ways that God is providing for his people, he, ways that God is at work. So Moses tells Jethro all of this, and Jethro's response is, is praise, joyful praise. Moses is filling the earth with the praise of Yahweh by telling his father-in-law about God's works, by proclaiming his wondrous deeds. This is something that um, God continues to call his people to, right? The, the work of filling the earth with the praise of God is not done. It's ongoing in our day, right? The, there are still so many places in the world where God's praise is not known. And we're not just talking about the existence of unbelievers, right? That your neighbors down the street don't go to church. But when we think about filling the earth with the praise of God, we, we are reminded that there are places where there is no one who worships God. That, right, that what, what um, kind of missiologists, people who study missions, talk about as unreached people groups. People who, um, who don't know the gospel, who don't know God, who... Um, have zero Christian neighbors, zero Christians in their community, and have no access to the gospel, have never heard the name of Jesus, have never heard God's name praised, and never will. 
unless someone outside of their community does something about it. That, that is the, um, the work that God is at work doing in the world, is filling the earth with praise by putting the praise of his name on the lips of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And just to kind of drive this home a little bit, um, this idea of unreached people groups, it's not an obscure phenomenon. It's not like, oh, there's some people over here who don't... um, Some estimates, most estimates, put the number of unreached people at somewhere between 30 and 40% of the world's population, of people who will never hear the gospel. Um, This is, so this idea of filling the earth, this kind of, this connection between missions and worship, it's what John Piper talks about when he says that missions exist because worship doesn't. When we, when we tell people about Jesus, when we, when we support missionaries to go overseas, the goal is worship. It's praise. It's to see God's name lifted up among the nations by declaring God's greatness to, um, to all people. And it's, it's worth us any, anyone who, who claims the name of Christ, who has put their trust in Him for salvation, at some point in your life needs to look that need for mission square in the face and ask God if that's something that He would call you to. Um, I know as Presbyterians, we're sort of hesitant about altar calls. I'm not about to ask anybody to stand up and say that I remember growing up having missionaries who would come and they'd be like, you know, if you want to give your life to missions, stand up. But it's worth right now, if you've never thought about doing missions before, just to begin to pray about it. Asking God if that's something that he would call you to at some point in your life. Not everyone is called to go overseas, but some are. Um, and it's worth, um, it's worth thinking about. So we, we see here that we as God's people are called to fill the earth with his praise by proclaiming his wondrous deeds. We also are called to fill the earth with praise by worshiping. So after the last two and a half chapters of just the Israelites grumbling and complaining over and over again, Jethro is kind of a breath of fresh air. You know, since leaving Egypt, the Israelites have been in the wilderness and they've moved from one grumbling session to another. And now Jethro comes on the scene and he gets what the Israelites have forgotten that God is doing amazing things in their midst, things that are worth uh, worshiping, things that are worth rejoicing. Now, not to beat up on the Israelites, you know, because um, I feel like one of the things in, in our small group that kind of the last several weeks, it's like this week, week in, week out refrain has been the not to beat up on the Israelites because we're just like them, right? We're, we grumble and we complain, but it's still a breath of fresh air to see someone respond like they should, to see God's deliverance, his awesome majesty, and respond with worship. Because God didn't save the Israelites so that they could grumble and complain. He saved them so that they could worship. Because the first step in God's plan to fill the earth with his praise is to save this one nation, this one group of people to create them as worshipers. Right? God is, God's first step, 
He's not, he does, is and does intend to use the Israelites to fill the earth with his praise. But the first step in that is simply to save the Israelites so that they themselves can worship God. And instead, what we see is that as the Israelites are grumbling, a Midianite priest worships. Which is still, still so often true, right? That those who have been in the faith, those of us who have you know, heard the gospel before or um, been around the church for a while, it can be easy to sort of become complacent, to adopt um, an attitude of sort of what have you done for me lately with God. Uh, certainly there is a sweetness that can come with fami- from familiarity with God's deliverance, with His work in your life, but it can also produce complacency. And um, That's why seeing new, new believers come to faith is really one of the, um, one of the most life-giving things for a church. Right? Just to bring in young believers who are hungry, who want to study God's Word, who want to, um, who want to, want to talk about it, want to sing about it, want to want to learn about God's grace. Uh, they're hungry, and they have a hunger that really can flow into, into worship for the whole community. Um, that's kind of what Jethro is here. As the Israelites have become sort of complacent, yes, God saved us, but now we're stuck in this wilderness. Um, Jethro, he's this breath of fresh air. This person, this new believer who is hungry for worship. Um, and if we take a minute and look at verses 9 through 12, we see the, the kind of the substance of his worship, what, that, what worship looks like. Um, you could preach an entire sermon just looking at verses 9 through 12, but a couple of key things as we think about what it means to fill the earth with praise by worshiping. Um, the first is that worship is joyful. Right? Verse 9, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Our worship at times may be mixed with sorrow, for sure, but unless there's joy in it, it's not worship. Because right? worship is about responding to God's, to God's goodness, to, to praising him with joy um, about who he is, what he's done. And that's the second thing that we see um, in these verses, is, is that Jethro... Um, kind of the form of prayer is, is that we use words to proclaim who God is, what he's done, God's deliverance, and his supremacy. So verses 10 through 11, uh, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Right? This is always the substance of our worship, that we, we proclaim how great God is, that He is supreme over all things, and we acknowledge His deliverance in our own lives. And the last thing to notice about Jethro's worship here is that it involves sacrifice. Verse 12 says, And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So at this point in Israel's story, God hasn't given them the Old Testament sacrificial system yet. He's, um, he hasn't commanded Is- the Israelites to worship him with sacrifice. But uh, ancient people like Jethro, they understood intuitively something that we have a harder time with. Not only... Um, 
we need to be taught this, but often we have to, it just we have we kind of grade against the idea that worship always involves sacrifice. Uh, that when unholy people enter the presence of a holy God, every time something else must die so that we can live as we who are unholy enter the presence of a holy God. This is still true today. Now you might be wondering why there aren't any animal sacrifices being offered this morning. Um, and that's because we, we no longer offer animal sacrifices in part of our worship, but it's still true that every time we gather corporately, every time we offer praise to God on our, on our couch, in your car, at the dinner table, that we enter God's presence through the blood of another. No longer cows and goats and sheep. Now we enter God's presence through the blood of Christ. In other words, Christ died so that we can worship. Christ died so that we, his people, can praise his name. Christ died so that we who are Gentiles like Jethro can enter God's presence with singing. We don't have to offer some, a sacrifice every time we want to offer praise to God. We want to, that we as sinners want to enter the presence of a holy God. No, we know that we already have the perfect sacrifice. Christ, who died so that we can fill the earth with the praise of God's name by worshiping Him. Um, just to kind of drive home, maybe one last time, how important this is. Uh, so we, we can assume, based on what we read in the Bible, a lot about what life after Christ comes back will look like. We, we know that there's going to be a new creation, a new earth, and so we, there will be most likely be plants to cultivate, animals to farm, uh, lakes to swim in, things to explore and discover and learn. Uh, there will be other people, so we'll probably spend time you know, playing, telling stories, telling jokes, uh, laughing together. But there are only two things that we are explicitly told in the Bible that we will do after Christ comes back. One of them is that we will eat and drink with God. We'll, have, we'll fellowship with Him. But the other is that we're going to worship. And that is one of two things that we know God intends for us to do for eternity. Because it's what we were created for. It's what we were redeemed for, to fill the earth with worship. And once we fill every corner of this earth with worship, God will create a new one that will be filled with his worship from the start and for eternity. And we, we can fill the earth with praise right now by worshiping him, like we've been doing this morning, like we will continue to do um, uh, once, you know, in a few moments. So we fill the earth with praise by worshiping. And lastly, we see that we fill the earth with praise by finding our role in the Great Commission. So the second half of chapter 18, the focus shifts from worship to issues of law and judgment. As we see Moses sit and judge disputes, revealing God's law, um, his statutes. Uh, but there's a problem, because apparently Moses is the only judge uh, that the Israelites have. So he spends his entire day settling disputes. I mean, he doesn't have time for, for anything else, any of the other leadership responsibilities that God has called him to. Part of the reason for this, as we see, is that Moses is not just the judge. He's also a prophet. And so as disputes come, Moses is revealing God's will to the people 
um, in this sort of piecemeal way. So if we read uh, verse 15, it says, And Moses said to his father-in-law, um, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. So here we, we're getting a glimpse of what's coming. Because right now, the, Moses is sort of revealing the law piece by piece as people come to him with questions or complaints or, or disagreements. But soon, God is going to give the law as a whole. Just in like two chapters, that he's going to give us the Ten Commandments. But Jethro, so this is why Moses has been sitting, um, he's kind of the, why he's the only judge, is because at the same time he's revealing the will of God. He's filling the role of a prophet. But Jethro realizes something that Moses seems to have kind of not picked up on, which is that not every case was new. Not every case required some revelation from God. And Jethro realizes this, and he points it out to Moses. He says, look, what you are doing is not good. This is beautiful picture, as Jethro gives advice, is this beautiful picture of God's people working together in unison. Because Jethro sees something that Moses doesn't, and so he points it out. Very bluntly, I might add, right? The thing that you are, what you are doing is not good. It's about as blunt as you can get. Instead of getting mad, instead of telling Jethro he doesn't know what he's talking about, Moses receives his advice and puts it into practice. Again, it's this beautiful picture of God's people working together and, even, and Jethro's advice itself is also an example of God's people learning to work together and sharing the load of spiritual leadership. Because Jethro comes up with the system where other godly men can address the easier cases and only bring to Moses the really hard ones, right? where, where Moses actually needs to fulfill this sort of prophetic function and, and um, give new revelation from God. And in the process, it frees Moses up for other aspects of leadership, for to do other things that others, other people genuinely can't do, like receiving the Ten Commandments. That is something that God has set Moses aside to do. So the point is that God calls different people to different things. And he gifts different people in different ways. Uh, we see the same thing in the New Testament. What well, we read first thing this morning from 1 Corinthians 12. That as the body of Christ, we all have different gifts. We have different gifts, but the same purpose, the same mission, which is to be and to make disciples and worshipers of all nations. And so as we think about this idea of, of filling the earth with praise by, um, by um, telling of his wondrous deeds to the nation, seeing the praise of God go forth to every corner of the earth, the reality is that some of us really can be more effective for the kingdom of God by staying where God has put us. Sharing the gospel in our own neighborhoods, encouraging and teaching the church in America. Because God gifts different people differently. Right? To borrow from 1 Corinthians 12 again, if you're, if you're an eye, don't try to be an ear. If you're an ear, don't try to be a leg. We don't want a Mr. Potato Head church. You know, you've played with Mr. Potato Head, you got arms coming out of here and, you know, you know, eyes out of the belly or what, I don't remember Mr. Potato Head, but, you know, you can just kind of, you can have, or Mr. Potato Head with all arms. Um, that's not what we want. We want a church where God um, has, knowing that God has gifted different people in different ways, where um, different people are fulfilling their, their roles to 
um, to see the, the praise of God go forth. And so the point is to find your role in the Great Commission, where God is calling you to fill the earth with the praise of His name, whether that's supporting missionaries with prayers and finances, um, actually going overseas. You don't have to feel gifted in evangelism or something that feels super holy to go overseas. You can do just about anything um, and just do it in a different country to help um, the gospel go forth, to help the, the to help fill the earth with praise. And then God calls some to proclaim the gospel at home or abroad. I think another really clear application for our church especially is to ask ourselves, what are we doing to raise up the next generation of missionaries? Right? That's, that is a way that we as the body of Christ can fulfill our role to, uh, to see the, the praise of God fill the earth, is to think about the next generation. What are, what are we doing to prepare um, the kids in our church if God were to call them overseas? So the point is that we want to be holistic in our pursuit of the Great Commission. The church body needs to be passionate, committed, sacrificial as we, as we pursue um, world missions, evangelism. But we don't want to pursue the Great Commission as if it's all on, all on my shoulders. Right? I've, got to, I've got to take this on. No, we remember that we have a body that we work and labor alongside of. And so the call for each of us is simply to find our role in building a church that is passionate about taking the Word of God and the worship of God to the nations. One last thing um, by way of application would be, is if you're, I guess if you're hearing this and you're thinking that's great, yes, world missions is great, and you're not, not involved in some capacity and don't really know where to start, um, that uh, there's a, our denomination's missions organization, MTW, is, hosting a virtual missions conference about a month from now. Um, there's, it's, it's online, it's free, there's nothing stopping you from, from attending this, this conference and checking out where, uh, where God is at work in the world around us. Um, if, you're, if you're interested in that, you can check out mtw.org, uh, or you can, I can shoot you a link if you let me know that you're interested. But um, it's just... That would be a great way to, to see where God can use you to fill the earth with his praise. Because God is at work filling the earth with his praise, and he invites us to be a part of that. First and foremost, by lifting his name up in worship, uh, but also by telling others about his wondrous deeds. So let's pray to him now. Father, we thank you for creating us to be worshipers, for, for giving us lungs and lips to sing your praises. We thank you for saving us and redeeming us to, to worship your name. And we pray that you would uh, fill the earth with your praise, uh, that you would raise up uh, laborers in the vineyard to, to go out and to, uh, to see that the gospel is known in every corner of the earth. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.